And then I will uh, have you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3 as we continue on. I'll keep looking over here for someone pointing at their watch as I go through this. Uh, We'll pick up at verse 19. And to set up where we are in this, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, talked about it, but Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3 has set up this golden image and uh, that's in the first seven verses. And, uh, and then people came, and then when they heard the sounds, these noises, they were supposed to uh, bow down to this golden image. Well, uh, what happened is some uh, jealous or, or perhaps um, uh, racist, um, maybe, in verse 8, you say they accused, maliciously accused the Jewish people. We're not sure if it was because they were Jewish or just jealous of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they, they ratted them out. Uh, they told King Nebuchadnezzar that these three are not falling down uh, before this altar whenever, or before this image whenever they uh, hear the noises, the sounds of, of all these horns. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, it seemed like he gave them a chance to make it all right. Uh, he asked them, did you, do you bow down? And, and they didn't lie. They said, no, we don't. And, and it almost seemed like he was giving them an out. And, and they had a chance to come up with all kinds of excuses and maybe, you know, just uh, give a little fib, uh, lie a little bit, or, or maybe uh, we talked about a number of ways they could have bowed down but not really meant it. But what kind of witness does that leave to them? They absolutely refuse to bow down. In fact, uh, in verse 18... Uh, It said, uh, let it be known that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They just refuse uh, to do it. They're acting in faith. They're not knowing if they're going to live or die, but we'll see uh, what happens next. It's in uh, Daniel chapter 3. I'll start reading from verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast Three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, And Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over, their bo- over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort we find in your word, for the encouragement we find in your word, and we pray that we will be strengthened in your word as we look at it, and we do this to your honor and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the uh, things, if you're familiar with the Andy Griffith Show, and a lot of people are at least a little bit familiar with the Andy Griffith Show, But there's Barney Fife, beloved Barney Fife. And one of the things that makes him so Barney Fife-ish is his overreactions. He's always overreacting about something. He's got a heart of gold, but he's just always flying off about something. You know, this is big. This is big, big. He says that. Uh, there's a time Andy leaves and, and Barney basically arrests the whole town. They're all in jail for minor, various minor offenses uh, when he gets his motorcycle. And then he enforces the speed limit. And if you're going one mile over the speed limit, he's got you pulled over because he's Barney Fife. And that causes all kinds of trouble. And how many times he tells Andy, this time we got to throw the book at him, Andy. Let's throw the book at him. Nip it in the bud. Uh, He's got that tendency to overreact. And it's funny on TV. Now, when it's someone like a co-worker and he overreacts, it's not quite as funny. But it's great watching Barney on TV overreact. And as we see Barney's character, Don Knotts plays him and played him wonderfully. But as we see that character, we understand that a lot of his overreaction is a result of his insecurity. He's a little insecure about himself, but he's got a badge. And he's going to use the badge, but every now and then you see that insecurity pop through. And it causes these overreactions. If he doesn't nip it in the bud, it's going to become something that he can't control anymore. Nebuchadnezzar is a classic overreactor. 
And we've seen examples of it as he was dealing with Daniel earlier. And he even admitted back in in chapter 2 in verse 47 that Daniel's God is the God of gods. He saw Daniel's God at work, and Daniel's God is the God. It's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he has this insecurity. He's insecure about his power. And some time has passed. We don't know how much time between chapter 2 and chapter 3 has passed, but some has passed. And, And now he's faced with these three who are disobeying his order. And it's time for him to assert his power. And he's going to overreact as he asserts his power. But as as we will see, the only, only real security we have is when we're humble before God. Nebuchadnezzar is insecure because he keeps fighting against God. But our security is in humbling ourselves before God. And whether we live or die, our security is in God. Now and into eternity. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know this yet. He said a couple of good things, but he's still fighting. And we see that as these three say they are not going to bow down before this image. He's filled with fury in verse 19. And the expression of his face is changed against these three. And that that change of face, that's what leads me to believe when he was talking with them earlier, he was kind of hoping they would get themselves out of it. They would tell a little fib or they would do something just to appease him and that he wouldn't have to have to throw them in the fire. But they tell him point blank they are not going to do this. And, and so now, now it's time to nip this in the bud. Now it's time to go after them. And his face has changed against them. And he orders that this furnace is heated seven times more than it's usually heated. And now seven times, whenever we come across that, uh, we understand that in biblical language, seven is a number of completion or fullness quite often. And so how we can take this is totality. He is going to stoke this fire as hot as a fire can possibly be stoked. This is going to be the hottest fire he can come up with. Seven times hotter than he certainly needs, uh, but as hot as it can possibly get. He's really angry. You might ask, why, if a It's going to kill a person at a certain degree. Why do you need it that much more higher? But that's just how Nebuchadnezzar overreacts. He's got this pomp and this pride, and and he has spent a lot of time and a lot of money setting this whole image up. And and, uh, when they told him they weren't going to bow down to this image, uh, you kind of notice in verse 18, at the end of verse 18, uh, that they won't uh, worship this golden image that you have set up. They almost come right back at Nebuchadnezzar. You set this up. We're not going to bow down to it. 
So this has become personal to Nebuchadnezzar as well. And he is fiery angry, literally fiery angry here. And these men, uh, they bind, they're bound, uh, these three men, their, their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments. And, and there's a little question, what, what does all of that mean? Some say it's their, their festal clothing or their official clothing. He's, he's throwing them in as that. Uh, others saying they're putting everything on them to throw them in the fire and leave no trace behind. They are going to burn these guys and everything they own to ashes. And that's going to be it. Well... The king's order was urgent, and the furnace far overheated. And the flame of the fire kills, actually, some of those who are throwing in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's this great urgency, and life doesn't mean a whole lot to Nebuchadnezzar, not outside of his own. So he's willing to risk their lives because there's this urgency. These people have disobeyed him. And, and when, when an egomaniac's power and authority is threatened, overreaction is usually what happens. You know, unfortunately, uh, those, those times of, of uh, overreaction uh, come when someone knows that they're being threatened. And so it comes out violently. Time is of the essence for Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, he's not yet experienced God's grace in his heart. He's said a couple of good things, but in his heart, he still doesn't know God. And often, um, when I'm at Powell, I will ask somebody to make me a time machine. I've asked this several times. Uh, will someone just make me a time machine so that I can go back in time? And I don't want to go back in time to change anything. God's got this plan, and I'm not, you know, who would I be in, in to, uh, to mess that up? But I would love to go back and see facial expressions at times. And this is one of those times. I'd love to see the reaction of Nebuchadnezzar. Look at his face as, as this is playing out. Because really there's, there's only one way this can end. And, and for Nebuchadnezzar, he's watching this. He saw the people throwing uh, these guys in the fire. He saw them get burned up. And so what's going to happen next is inevitable. These guys are going to poof, and all of their clothes are going to go up, and it's going to be this spectacular fire, and he's going to win. But that's not what happens. In verse 24, he's astonished. That's what is happening. And he rises up in haste. And he asks his counselors, weren't there three? We threw three of them in the fire, right? And they said, yes, there were three. But now there's four. And they're walking around and they're unbound. And, and I can understand, uh, it says he, he rose in haste. I can understand his, his, his haste in wanting to get an answer here. You can almost hear him saying, you know, look, I was really angry and, and, and I, I ordered this, but there was only three, right? And, and, and yes, but now we have four. 
and they're walking around and they're not hurt. And the appearance of this fourth one is, is really wacky. And, and we don't really know who this fourth one is. It doesn't really say, and there's different ideas out there. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in verse 28, calls him an angel. Uh, but uh, we're not going to spend much time on trying to figure out who that fourth person is who's, who's uh, uh, like the son of the gods. But just this idea of these three men who've been thrown into the fire and they're walking around, completely unharmed. They're unbound. They've got this freedom. And just the imagery of them walking. It doesn't say they were huddled in a corner and, and they had an asbestos blanket over them and this, this fourth angel had a shield and, and like Batman or something, you know, fighting off the fire. No, they're walking around. Free, completely unharmed. You know, Isaiah, in Isaiah 43, he writes, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And sometimes when we read verses like that, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. We just kind of, somewhere in the back of our mind, almost say, well, that's, that's dramatic language that God is using. It's something that he could do, but we see it's reality here. He really is doing this. They're walking around and they're not at all burned. Jesus, in his great commission in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Authority over people. Authority over fire. Authority over everything. And I will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, the writer of Hebrews picks up on that. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And Nebuchadnezzar, if, if he were to hear Jesus give that, that great commission, all authority in heaven and earth given to him, Nebuchadnezzar would have had a problem with that. Because Nebuchadnezzar wants authority. He wants to be the guy. But all authority is given to Christ. And like the writer of Hebrews says, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The answer, only what God allows. Because he has all authority. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are seeing this. And so is Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I remember the uh, first time I saw a really good illusionist and saw him on stage. You know, I had seen some illusionists. We used to call them magicians back then. You know, the, the simple pull a nickel out of your ear type thing or, or some other little contraptions that they would do. And you could always kind of see what was going on. And, 
And I had seen some really good illusionists on TV, but you know, anything can happen on TV, so it's a little less impressive. But I remember being very young and going to this place, which is called a Valley Fair up in Shakopee, Minnesota, and they had a really good illusionist, and he was doing things that, that just blew my eight-year-old mind, and I just wanted to run up on stage and say, what are you doing here, and let me see this. And I got to talk to you. What? This is awesome. Um, and, and that's kind of what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here in verse 26. He's, he's coming to the door of this burning, fiery furnace. Here these three guys have been thrown in, and now they're walking around, and, and they're on the hurt. And, and, and he gets to the door, and he declares, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. And come here, i gotta, I got to talk to you guys. Uh, and they come out of the fire. You can almost see the surprise on his face. You can almost feel what he's feeling. This is crazy. Come on, guys, what is this? Uh, but he's been reminded again that there is a true and all-powerful God. And it's not just that these guys come out of the fire unharmed. They come out untouched. Notice what happens. They're all looking at this. It's almost like uh, they're in a zoo or something, and people are crowding around and looking at them, and, and they're noticing that the fire had no power over these men, the, the hairs of their head not, not singed at all. Their cloaks not harmed. There's not even a smell of fire on them. You could put your nose right up to their cloaks and take a big sniff and you won't even smell the smoke on them. God has left no doubt what is going on. There is no trace of this fire on them. If you hadn't been there and seen them in the fire, there's no way you would know that they were anywhere near that fire. He just didn't save them. He brought them out completely unharmed, not even the smell of fire upon them. And there's that phrase in there, the fire had not any power over their bodies. And this is probably what Nebuchadnezzar would have focused on. No power over their bodies. Nebuchadnezzar had stoked this fire as hot as fire can possibly be stoked. He just couldn't get it any hotter than it was. And that had no power over these guys. And if you remember, this started as a demonstration of Nebuchadnezzar's power. This was his show of force. This was his, we got to nip this in the bud and show them who's in charge. And he does everything he can. And it's not merely that his power is less than he thought. He's got none. This fire had no power over these guys. And Nebuchadnezzar answers and says, Blessed be the God of 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. And, and he says a lot of good things. In fact, he, he talks about how they yielded up their bodies rather than serve and, and worship any god except their own god. He's, he's impressed by God's power. He's impressed by how God saved them. And he says some really great things here, but we will learn. Uh, there's chapter 4 to follow. We will learn Nebuchadnezzar isn't there yet. He's just impressed with a show of power but his heart is still somewhere else. But he does seem to understand what just happened here. God showed himself powerful yet again. But we also get a glimpse of Nebuchadnezzar's mindset in verse 29, and it's almost laughable. If anyone from any nation, any other language, says anything against their God, then, then they shall be torn limb from limb and their house laid in ruins. There's no other God who can rescue like this. It's almost laughable. Does Nebuchadnezzar really think he needs to be the one to defend God's honor? This is Nebuchadnezzar again thinking, I'm the guy, right? And so if they offend their God, well, I'm going to have to do something. And you want to ask Nebuchadnezzar, didn't, didn't you just learn from what happened here? You have no power except what God gives you. You have no power. And I think in the back of his mind, he does know that. And that's why he overreacts. Anybody offends their God, I'm going to rip them apart. Apparently, fire isn't going to scare anybody anymore because look what just happened. So he's going to go with something else. I'll tear them limb from limb. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, the classic overreactor. The fire didn't do anything. As hot as that fire was, couldn't do anything. And when we look at scripture and, and notice the use of fire, it's used a lot, actually. Sometimes there's the refining fire, the purifying fire. There's the fire of judgment. There's fire as trial. And in fact, uh, 1 Peter uh, uses it that way. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And Peter is basically telling us there's fiery trials out there. But I don't want to focus on the fiery trial. Because to me, what we see in this is God's ability to save and how he saves. Because we all have something on us, our sin. And we have an accuser whose power is limited, by the way. God determines what happens. But we have an accuser who much like Barney Fife wants to throw the book at us. And he wants to get us jumpy 
and worried about the fire ahead. Remind us of our sin and the fire that that sin deserves. But this is a story about God's ability to save and to save completely. And when God tells us that he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, we can take great comfort in that because that's how he saves completely. Christ takes away all of our sin. And because of his righteousness that is our righteousness, when we stand before God in Christ, we stand before him without even a whiff of sin on us because he has removed it completely and the accuser has no power over us anymore. Our real security is when we stand humbly with God because he is the one who has the power to forgive us completely and we can walk freely in his love let's pray our gracious heavenly father we do thank you for these great words of encouragement that you save completely that you remove all of our sin from us not a hint of it when we stand in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are powerful and that you love us. May we walk in your power and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. And then I'll have you stand. Uh, we'll turn to hymn 537 and sing verses 1 and 4.